Will you uh, stand and join me as we read the scripture for tonight? It's Ephesians chapter 6. We'll just start in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Uh, my name's Jeff. I, I don't make it here often, but I'm a pastor. I work with our student ministries. I've been at Lake for a while now. And I find it ironic that the night that I'm uh, asked to come and share is a night where the title sermon was already determined for me you know, called Functional Families. Because um, I don't come from a functional family. Uh, this actually was a very hard week for me. I, my wife and I have a 15-month-old child. And it was a week ago today. We had some friends over for lunch after church, and we stopped looking at our 15-month-old just for a second, and he decided to free climb the fireplace, fell down, and after a visit to the urgent care on Sunday, the ER all day Monday, uh, we found out, and CAT scans and all kinds of things, we found out that he actually broke his collarbone as a 15-month-old, but he's a stud, don't worry, we named him Hank, so (laughs) he's fine. Um, (laughs) But it was, you know, and then I think somewhere in the midst of urgent care or the ER, uh, someone picked up the flu, and then the flu was running around our entire house. And I remember calling Albert on Friday or Thursday, and I said, you know, I, as I was throwing up and had to actually go get a couple IV treatments because I was so dehydrated, it was just a really random week. I'm like, Albert, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if this is the week. The text was already intimidating, and this is the week we're having. And he said, you're, you're in trouble, buddy, because I'm out of town. So uh, here we are. But, but the reality is, without all of that, This is an incredibly hard text. This is a hard text for people maybe similar to me. Because we start start trembling into the category of family, and it's just really difficult. Because there's no way to acknowledge or to know the different dynamics that are represented in this room tonight. For some of you, we're going to talk about family and the ideal family and the way that fathers are supposed to treat their children. And the reality is that your story has been marked by abuse, that your story is marked by distance, that your story is marked by a father who did anything but teach you and train you in the Lord. And for some of you, you think about your parents as we look at God's word and see how he wants us to treat them. And the very thought of honoring or obeying your parents, even at whatever age you're at now, is just really hard. When I was growing up, It was my sixth grade year. I have very few memories before sixth grade. My mom was a teacher. It was the day the teachers went to school, an in-service day, and the students stayed home, and my brother and I were just playing Nintendo all day. And I remember my dad came home at lunch. We had lunch with him, and then we went into our den and just continued to play Nintendo, and I heard him making noise in the back, and a couple hours later, I remember he came by and gave us a kiss on the forehead and said, see you later. We just kept about our business playing Nintendo, and about three or four o'clock, my mom came home from work, and we just, I remember hear it now, this scream that came. She'd gone into their bathroom, and as she opened up the medicine cabinet, noticed that all of my dad's toiletries were gone, just gone. Deodorant, toothpaste, everything. She went into his drawers. All his clothes were gone. Went into the closet. All his clothes were gone. Everything that was my dad's in our home was just totally gone. There was a note. 
And the note just basically said, I need some space. And there was a little line from my brother and I to assure us that this had nothing to do with us. And that started my life, my story. That started some really difficult years. That started years uh, in which it was so painful to be at home because my mom's eyes were swollen red from just her pain and her tears. Those were really difficult years as I was going through middle school and trying to become an athlete or trying to become something where it seemed like every other kid, every other friend I had, had a dad who was invested in his life. And here I am with an awkward single mom in a town at the time where it felt like nobody else's parents were divorced. It might be a little more common now, but when I was growing up, I was it. I was the story. I remember how awkward it was when our church that we grew up at was taking pictures, kind of like Lake is doing now, and we had to go with just my brother and my mom and figure out that we were this new family. And so when we pick up scriptures that are just really concise, because really the scripture is very concise, children, obey and honor, and there's some promises we'll talk about there, and kids, you know, and parents, don't exasperate your kids, but train them and teach them. A short verse like that, is a hard verse for many of us. And I would, I would guess that maybe there's abuse in the room, but there's the other extreme in the room that many of you have grown up in great homes, in great families, where you would say that you could say to your parents, thank you for telling me and showing me who Jesus is. But I, I guess I'm assuming that even in those families, those are tough. Maybe I'm assuming that because I've been a youth pastor now for like 15 years and I know that even our most sincere and dedicated families at this church or any church who know Jesus struggle when it comes to bringing up their kids, struggle when it comes to relating to their parents, even as adults. This verse, these verses, my prayer would be that God would speak to us tonight. That there would be something new in these very short and concise words that would encourage you in your relationship with your folks, if you have kids and you're in the way you will look at your children someday when you have children, or if it's just the children of this church and the children in your life, let me pray for us. God, we just sang some pretty intense lyrics about giving you all of our life, telling you to take it and to take everything we're about and put it to yourself. We sang words in which we expressed that we're going to exalt you that in these moments, in this place, we've already declared that you are significantly important in our life. And God, my prayer and our prayer for tonight would be that we would meet you in such a way that those words that we sing tonight would become words that we say tomorrow, that they would be words that would be true in our life, not just when we're at church, God, but that we would give our lives and exalt you with all of our life, all of the time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When the scripture says to honor and to obey, and I reflect upon my story, I have to recognize that if there was a moment for me to honor and obey my mom during those hard years, it probably would have been then. But I admit to you, I was a terrible kid because I was in so much pain, so much turmoil, and she was the only constant in our life that the last thing I did was obey her and the last thing I did was honor her. Countless numbers of fights, countless numbers of moments of tension, Countless times where I was disrespectful to her. Countless times where I told her, called her names that were incredibly inappropriate that would probably get me fired. Countless moments of dishonor and disrespect and disobeying. 
The context of this scripture, let's remember a little bit about Ephesians and what we've been learning so far, is that we're in this larger conversation where we're being instructed to be filled by the Spirit. Remember that scripture, don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. An illustration of this filled by the Spirit, we're encouraged to do this thing called mutual submission. And last week we learned about a marriage. It's an example of how we live selfless lives. How we submit to one another in the context of a husband and a wife. And the illustration continues this week and it will continue next week. This picture of parents and children is the picture that Paul uses to explain to us how we go about living selflessly. How we go about living in submission to one another. There's nothing really new in verses 1 through 3. Children were to obey and to honor their kids when this scripture is being written. This wasn't like there was a bunch of kids out in Ephesus disrespectful to their parents. It was the norm of the time for kids to bring honor to their parents and kids to obey their parents. A little different from our context is that kids, verse 4 is the new stuff. Kids weren't really esteemed. Kids often were seen at to, to have an economic value. So it would be common during this time for a parent to sell their child into slavery if they needed the money. And they could buy him back, and there's actually a, a scripture that would allow that to go three times. They could do that up to three times. And as a kid, you were just supposed to honor that and to obey that. In fact, if your parent during this time thought of their kid in a, in a way that they were done bringing value to the world, done bringing value to the family, they could actually kill their kid and nobody would bat an eye. So when we read these words, so many times we're reading these things through our own lens of our own story or my story with my mom, and, and we look at this thing where it says honor and obey, and we think that's difficult, and yes, that has difficulties in our culture, but we have to realize when these words are written, this wasn't the new part. This wasn't the, the, the part that brought any kind of controversy. The, the new part is in four. When, when it says for children, in the midst of obeying and honoring your parents, probably in situations that are really difficult, it's important for parents to treat their kids with dignity, to see children as having value, to not see kids as merely property or economic investment, but to you have responsibility with your kid, not to exasperate them, to frustrate them, but to train them up, to teach them in the Lord. The structure of these four verses, there's some promises and there's some commands. I want to camp out first on the promise in verse 3. If you have your Bible and you want to look at it, in verse 3, there's a couple phrases there. And the promise is this. It says, in the midst of honoring and obeying your parents, do these things that it may go well with you. And listen to this other one, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. These instructions to honor and to obey, we'll get to what those mean, what these commands are, but the, the reality is these commands are connected to a bigger promise that somehow there's a relationship between the way our family dynamics are and how well we're able to live life. This week I had the flu, and so I was catching up on terrible television. And VH1 has this show, because I just watch it because I'm a community person, so anything Drew, you know, we have to watch because he's a Pasadena resident. It's called Sex Rehab with Dr. Drew. 
If you've seen some of the other rehab stuff, they take these celebrities who are just train wrecks and they put them into the Pasadena Recovery Center and they work through their addiction and there's some beautiful stuff that comes out of that. And I watched this one episode about these celebrities who are actually sex addicts. It was the first episode. The very first episode, and they all come into the center one at a time. They do a little backstory on each person. And then after they get a physical, they sit down with Dr. Drew, right? They sit down with Dr. Drew and then a real therapist, and they're going through all of these questions about how sex has, has messed up their life, how they're pointing back to how, how that connects. And I'm telling you, one for one, the entire, all of them were in tears, And all of them pointed back to their family of origin. All of them pointed back to abuse, pointed back to some tragic moment in their nuclear family. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was an encounter with someone in their family as to what has set them off into this level of addiction. That should be not new for us, right? I mean, I bet if we just combined in this room how much money each one of us have spent on therapy or advice when it comes to understanding our nuclear family, when it comes to understanding the family dynamic and how that affects how each one of us are made and how that affects the way we live our life. There's there's nothing new here, but there's something about this promise where God, God, Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul, he's saying, if you live this way, if you live a way where you will honor and obey your folks, and remember it's mutual, And parents, you live in a way where you are bringing respect to your children and you are teaching and training them in the Lord, then you will live well. That you will live a long life on earth. The motivation for this isn't just to be obedient to be obedient. The the ultimate motivation is that as we live this way, we understand who God is, we understand how to live selflessly, and then a little bonus here is that we actually can live really well. When my wife and I were engaged, or before engagement, I went to ask her parents for permission, or their blessing, or whatever it was. And at the time, I wasn't employed. I was employed by Lake, but I wasn't making that much money. And so I went with like a graph on how much money I thought you could make as a youth pastor, which is a ton. And um, (laughs) seriously, I have a house with a white picket fence. Um, But I remember sitting with them. And telling them how much I adored their daughter. My wife nor I come from Christian homes. We met Jesus independently outside of our families. And we met each other, and I'm trying to honor them and the, the way that this is whole supposed, thing's supposed to go. And they were just so warm and receptive until the moment when they said, Jeff, it is not about you. Like, we just totally think you're great. But, you know, her older sister is engaged, and we're just going to ask that you would wait until after her marriage is done before you would get engaged. And mind you, her older sister still had like eight months left on this engagement. And I was like rearing ready to go. And we're like the Christian couple. So there's, you know, there's a timeline, you know. <laughs> I'm not about ready to wait eight months and then get engaged for a year. Like. And I remember coming back from that so frustrated, so angry. And I remember sitting in this office here at Lake Avenue. Another pastor came up to me and asked me, what would it mean for you to honor that? I, I had written a letter to them about how, how, that was, it, it, how terrible that was for them to ask me that and how that was inappropriate. And we're just going to do what we're going to do. And people are capable about being happy for two people at the same time. You know, Like, we're not going to steal attention. But, you know, we, we didn't do that. We waited the eight months, and we had a nine, ten-month engagement, and it was hard. But I'll tell you, there was something that has allowed me and my wife to live really well 
as a result of honoring our parents. Would I, would I trade it now? No, I wouldn't. Because it was through that process where we really worked on who we were. We really, I really worked on what was it about those requests that were so angry for me. It was actually the first time an older man had told me I couldn't do something. I had to work through that. But there was a promise in this scripture that I've lived in my life that if we just obey and honor and try to live this out, that it actually works out. So that's our motivation. The purpose is that if we can live this way, that life is well lived and living becomes enjoyable and it becomes dynamic. And I, I'm afraid that many of us probably know the flip side of this. Many of us know the flip side of having tension in our family. Many of us know the tension of being at odds with our folks. Many of us know the tension of what that brings. And so there's something true about this, working through this and getting to a place of honoring and obeying. Now the commands are just really simple. The first command is for children to obey and to honor, to listen to their parents, to reflect their parents, to respect their parents, so many times I think we read the scripture and we think, gosh, this must really apply, you know, to when, before the age of accountability, right? Like when, when, when kids are before their adulthood, we're supposed to really honor and to respect. And the, the writer is, is not saying anything like that. These are lifelong commands. These commands don't stop the moment in our culture we become 18 or we become no longer dependent on the tax forms. These commands to honor and to obey our parents are as true for us at any stage of our life as they would be if we're nine years old. What the honoring is, what the obeying is, those things can look very different. Now that, that kicked my butt this week. Because as a 32-year-old, I'm sitting here asking the question of just the last ten encounters I've had with my mom and my stepdad. And I can't tell you with all integrity that I've honored them. We went on vacation as a family. We went camping a couple weeks ago. And there are moments and encounters I had with my mom where my pride overcame. Somehow I thought that I was smarter than her and I think that I am or that I've figured out life better than her, that she's not worthy of respect or her requests are silly or she's treating me as the baby in the family or whatever it would be. But, but understand that these commands to obey and to honor cut through all of our ages. Meaning that it's not going to be a moment in our lives where we don't have to ask that question. I, I think those are easy to envision when it's childhood, right? What does it mean to honor and to obey, to follow the rules? Adolescence, you know, it might become a little more complicated, especially on the parent side, but to understand what it means to obey and to honor your parents' adulthood. But, but then really it does come full circle, Right? Like, imagine many of you in this room are dealing with this, and we're going to deal with it all at some point, that you're aging parents. That is, they're in their last season of life, that God has called us just as strongly in that moment to honor them and to obey them. These, these commands are for the whole life. Now, to honor and to obey, we have to call out something else that I'm learning, is that those words are loaded and they mean something totally different based on our cultural differences. Right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm like this kid who grew up at the beach in Southern California, and that I'm going to understand honoring and obeying my parents very differently than my new friend Jeff Leo, who is coming from a different context. 
And we can, we, can, we can divide that through Eastern ways of thinking and Western ways of thinking, but I think the reality is we have to understand that that looks very different. And there are times probably where we've gotten in conversations with our friends who are from a different culture and are so frustrated by the way that they're interpreting that verse. See, for me to honor and to obey my mom is so different because my mom didn't have specific plans on what was okay or not okay for me to do with my life. When I was 18, 20 years old and I really felt a call to ministry, my mom wasn't saying anything about that. It didn't cause any conflict. Because I was created and the way I honor and obey my mom in my culture is to become an independent, self-sufficient, contributing adult. So when I've made it and I've honored her is because I'm living well, I'm not dependent on her for money, and, and I've figured out and I've got a career and I've got a wife and I've got it figured out. And, and she'll just applaud me and look, you've made it. And yet I'm learning that that is just so different when it comes to people with more of an Eastern cultural mindset. Where success is a, and what someone does with their life, it, 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 the family decides those things. The very pursuit of figuring out what you're supposed to be or what is acceptable to be is a family pursuit, not an individual pursuit. And so there's this tension because to honor, what happens then when, when we're in a position where it means to honor or to obey our parents means that we're disobeying or dishonoring what we're feeling God doing in our own lives. And I can't speak to that except to call it out and to realize that my words are limited to some of you tonight. Because I don't have that experience, but I'm trying to understand it. There's no qualifier in this scripture. There's no qualifier that this is just if your parents are Christian. Now, obviously, Paul is writing to a Christian context. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people who are having tension and understanding who Jesus is. But there's no qualifiers alone in the text that say... You only need to honor and obey your parents if they're Christians. And the fact is that we are called through this scripture and through the commandments in Exodus to honor and to obey our parents despite whatever their faith journey is. Now that can cause tension. There's a friend of mine growing up in youth group. He graduated high school and he went up to this conference at Forest Home called College Briefing. And the speaker that year was Tony Campolo. So he goes up as an 18-year-old. He's going to community college in Ventura. And, and he hears Tony Campolo, and he's moved in this conference. He has moved to, to come home, to pack his bags, and to move to New Jersey and to work for this nonprofit that works in the inner city in New Jersey that Campolo's a part of. And he comes home, tells his parents who aren't Christians what he's going to do, and it caused World War III in their family. What do you do when you feel like God is taking you in a certain direction and you have this call on your life to honor and to obey your folks and they don't get it? And they don't know Jesus and they're living by a different grid. And I'm telling you, that, that, that's a really hard reality. My friend, I'd love to say that he's still following. It was so traumatic for him. He ended up not going to New Jersey and he's still struggling to connect with God to this day. And there's often times where I... I I play this card in my head or as I'm praying for him, thinking about what his life would have been like if he just would have went to New Jersey. But he chose to honor his mom and his dad's request. Even when they didn't get it, 
when they didn't understand Jesus the same way. There's that scripture, many of us, that, that we could counter do this argument. Isn't there, doesn't Jesus talk about that we have to deny our mom and we have to hate our mom and dad and to follow him, to really follow him? And yes, Jesus said those things. I think the fact is this, is that there are probably going to be moments, the older we get in our lives, where we're going to have to, if we feel like God is calling us to do something, if God is calling us, that there's going to be moments where we might have to actually disobey our folks to obey God. You hear that? There's going to be these moments where we might have to disobey our folks to obey God. And that should be a really hard thing for each one of us. If we're ever put in that position, I think the larger thing and what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is here is that this family dynamic is huge and it's really important. And it's not something to take lightly. And if you get in a moment where following God is causing odds with your folks and you have to make a decision to disobey them to obey God, that should break your heart. That should be really hard. That shouldn't be an easy decision. If in your walk with God you've gotten to a place of confidence where you can disobey your parents easily and it doesn't break your heart, at least for them, if it doesn't break your heart or cause you to pause or cause you to pray or cause you to to go deeper within yourself, then I think we're missing the way of living that, we're talking, that, that Paul's talking about here. This way of living, of honoring our folks and obeying our folks. Remember, it, it, there's a promise that we live well when we do that, and when we don't do that, it causes turmoil and it causes pain. Now, to parents, and this is where, you know, all of us are children, but not all of us are parents, and I have to, to uh, temper this, that this is totally motivated by 15 years of youth work, 15 years of being around families, Christian families. And when it comes to words like exasperate, meaning to frustrate or to irritate, I admit to you that I have seen a lot of Christian families, well-intended parents, exasperate their kids, frustrate them, irritate them. And, And Albert said it today, he said it really nicely in the larger services. The more a kid is exasperated... It's my experience that the more that kid goes nuts in college and later in life. Right? It's those kids. It's like you get to college, right? And you know the kids that grew up in a really strict Christian home because they're just going crazy. There's this call, right? It's the, this is the shocking news of the text, right? This is the new thing. This is where kids actually have dignity and they have value. And so Paul, when he is saying, fathers, don't exasperate your kids, Paul is bringing dignity to a group that had none before. Paul is bringing value to children and saying, you know what, there are some, there's some boundaries here. Selling your kid into slavery, probably not a good thing. Maybe some exasperation. Frustrating your kid, irritating your kid, just getting on your kid because they're your kid, not a good thing. Exasperation. The goal of parenting isn't to frustrate our kids. If your kid is always frustrated with you, you might want to look at your parenting. If your kid is constantly irritated by the words that you're saying, it might not just be adolescence and then being in a mood. There might be something about your parenting you need to look at. Paul is being really clear and he's saying don't exasperate, but he says something, he says do this, do train them up and teach them. That's what I want to talk about just briefly. The call for a parent isn't to exhaust your kid. 
The call on a parent is to train them in the Lord, to teach them about the Lord. Now, this may not make any sense coming from a youth pastor, but do you know what I think the biggest hindrance is for families today when it comes to parents being the primary teachers and trainers of their kids? Is the church. Because we pay people to do that. We pay people to teach our kids about Jesus. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've had over the years of families frustrated that their kids don't know Jesus and want to know why we're not doing it right. Or we really wanted them to be baptized by the time they went to college and they haven't been baptized. What's the problem in your youth ministry? To train a child up and to teach them about God is not the job of a professional specialized pastor. It's the job of a parent. And it's hard. (laughs) My guess would be many of us, that wasn't our story. Even if our parents tried, it just didn't work. It's the scariest thing in the world to me to think about my 15-month-old son. And again, there are a lot of limitations on me preaching this sermon, right? I only have a 15-month-old. Not this guru of a parent. But to think about Henry and his spiritual life and him understanding who the real Jesus is, that's an overwhelming thought. It is really hard, I think, to train up our kids in the Lord to teach them about God. But as I reflect, and these aren't the three things, these aren't the the, the most comprehensive list in the world, but from my vantage point, as someone who's worked with families and worked with students, (coughs) there are three things I want to encourage us when we think about training up or teaching kids. Now, whether you have kids or not, the reality is there's a larger thing here too, right? We're this unexpected family which means your kids are my kids, which means I'm invested in your family, that we are brothers and sisters. So whether you have kids that you are thinking about that are yours or whether it's time for you to care for someone else's kid and to to join warehouse kids and work with kids or to join a student ministries or to serve kids somewhere, think of it through the lens of this. But primarily for parents, I would say that there's three things that are really important when we think about training and teaching. The first one is consistency. Listen to this scripture in Deuteronomy. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This is before they go to the promised land. So that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Listen to similar language. Hear, O Israel... And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord your God of fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Listen to this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on the foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Right? The first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch. 
One way of understanding is God's way of living in the world God created. So from the very beginning, we have these very specific instructions of how God wants us to live in his world. And from the very beginning, we get a sense that we are to talk about the Lord and that we are to be consistent with our kids when we sit, when we rise, when we fall asleep, when we're walking along the road. We're supposed to put symbols. We're supposed to put really cute verses on our patio, you know, where this is the house of the Lord, you know, and put up really cute Christian stuff all over the place so that we can be reminded, right? Those are some jokes in there. But... But that's the essence behind it. Doesn't it give some compassion, actually, to that? I mean, I didn't think about that. It gives some compassion to all that knick-knacky stuff that they're just trying to follow the Bible, right? But talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Do you get the picture? We aren't supposed to just talk about God with our kids on Sunday after they're done with Sunday school. We're not supposed to just talk about God with our kids when it's convenient. We're not supposed to just talk about God with our kids when we think about it every now and then. There's a consistency and an immediacy to to our life. And if anything, for me, as as a father, before I'm a pastor, the fact that if that's the instruction of my life, that is a call and a half for me to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Because it's my vibrancy in my relationship with the Lord, which is the fodder and the subject for my conversations with Henry. And so many times I think we do an okay job of this as parents, but when they hit adolescence, we just get scared. We don't want to talk about that anymore. Or we want somebody else to talk about that with them. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you, you have this closeness with your parents, but then when junior high or high school hit, it's like you felt like your world's just separated. And, and it may look different, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about God differently to a, to a five-year-old than we would a 16-year-old. But the reality is you as a parent and me as a parent are called to be consistent meaning that we're talking about God when he's five and she's five years old, and we're also talking about God when those kids are 25 years old. We're sharing with them about who God is, who, he, who he's becoming in our lives, how we've experienced him lately. You know, I, so many kids don't even know their parents' testimony. That there, there are a lot of kids who couldn't even tell you how their parents met Jesus. To teach and to train our kids, means that we need to be consistent. The other thing that we need to to do is to uh, uh, word it under the title identity. That our job as parents, when it comes to kids, isn't just to be consistent with them, is but to help them form their identity. Their identity as children of God. Not necessarily their identity as whatever your last name is. I think a lot of times parents, and we think about having kids, we're trying to really form their identity as a Matisich. It's my last name. What it means for them to be a Matisich. And that's great, but that's got to be secondary to what it means for him to be a child of God, to be seen the way that God created him to be. My, my psalm that I pray over Henry, our son, is that he would know God in the way the psalmist knew God in Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained me for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I want my son and I want all of our kids to know God in this kind of way. I want his identity before he would ever think about what his mother and I think about something, that he would think first and foremost what his heavenly father thinks about something. And my job as a parent isn't to groom him into a mini Jeff but to groom him and to train him in the ways of the Lord. The last thing, consistency, identity. And finally, I think our job as parents when we think about kids is reality. And this is my little you know, critique of maybe parenting today, is that we spend a lot of time trying to protect our kids from reality. We spend a lot of time and money to make sure that our kids are in very safe environments, We spend a lot of time and money making sure that that they have everything they need to succeed. And then they're just blown away and shocked when they hit 23 and they graduate from college and the world is difficult. Henry was, I told you, he broke his his, uh, collarbone this week and I was holding him in his room. It was like 3 in the morning. He was throwing up and his broken little bone. It was this really tender moment for us. And I was praying for him, and it was probably the longest I've ever prayed for him. And I got in this kind of prayer-like trance. I was probably half asleep, half praying. And the scripture came to mind. When Jesus, in Luke 9, Jesus is with his disciples, and he just told them how he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. And then he says to them, if anyone will come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus tells us in that moment that when we follow him, life is difficult. When we follow him, we actually there's an element of us taking up a cross, like he took up a cross. There's a dying to ourself. There's a dying to uh, pleasure. There's a dying to maybe the way we thought life was going to work out. And we need to prepare, be prepared that life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. And I remember in this moment, thinking of that verse and praying very specifically, saying, Lord, I don't want to protect Henry from ever feeling pain. I just want his pain to come when he's following you. So we just heal his little body, heal his bone, heal his little throw-up thing. And, and I promise you, we will raise him to be ready that when he follows you, it comes at a cost. And that when he follows you, 
you can throw some stuff his way because we'll have prepared him to take up his cross and to follow you. That's so easy for somebody to say when their kid's 15 months old. He doesn't even say any real words yet. But I think the reality is I have seen too many kids, too many students get to college and are blown away the first time they get a C. Or that they couldn't make friends with their roommate and life is just crashing down in front of them and somewhere no one took time in their life to tell them that life is actually pretty difficult. And following God is difficult. There's going to be moments where it's incredibly lonely. Following God, there's going to be moments where it just doesn't make sense. Following God means you're going to read four verses and they're going to mess you up for like a month. Because following God is hard. We are called to, when it comes to our kids, to train them and to teach them about God, to be consistent with them, to help them have an identity as a, as a follower and a child of God, and to prepare them for what that identity means, the reality of that. I give us some time to reflect as we close, but it, it strikes me that these, this scripture is pretty clear. In terms of what we, and we're all children, this might bring up some limitations. Some of us, our parents have passed, and so when it comes to honoring and to obey them, there's nothing we can do tangibly after this sermon to, to really make any progress on that. For many of us, maybe it's a, there's a seed planted that when it comes to the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that maybe it's going to be a little different this year, and we're going to try to honor our parents, even though it's difficult, even though they may exasperate us, but we're going to try to take the high road with that. Some of us who are parents or are going to be parents, maybe there's some things that that we heard about what it would mean to train them and to teach them. And then there's the rest of us. And I want want us to, to recognize just a couple things. Sometimes I think this expository preaching style where we just go chunk at a time and we work through a book, that's great. And we're good at knowing what came before, but we don't really get what's happening after. So we've looked at Ephesians and we get this unexpected family thing and we're talking about mutual submission and selfless living and this illustration of parents and kids and how to relate with one another, to live well, to honor God, to honor our parents, to to teach and train. And the reality is all of this stuff is very difficult. And Paul knows it. Because in a couple weeks we're going to get to this where he says this at the end of all of this. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. To accomplish all of this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, their struggles. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. You get the intensity? It's like Paul finishes this letter saying, this whole way of living, this whole way of understanding God that we've just talked about for six chapters, it is super difficult. 
And so if you think you can do this on your own, it's not going to happen. And we get this imagery of the armor of God and what it means to suit up every day to live this kind of way. Meaning that for me to suit up every day to honor and to obey my, my mom, I may not have to put that suit on every day, but I'm getting ready because holidays are coming, right? It's hard. But every day as a parent, I've got to suit up and I've got to depend on the Lord to do these things and to make me become the kind of parent who can teach and to train because left onto my own, it's not going to happen. So the promise in all of this, right? We started with it. The promise in all of this is that this is a good way to live. That this is a way we'll be able to enjoy life. But in that enjoyment, in that goodness, it's not easy. And that we'll need the Lord for that. Let me pray for us. So God, earlier in the service, many of us sang those words that we exalt you and that we want you to take our lives, that we want them to honor you and we want them to, to be whatever you want them to be. And then we come and we read your scripture and we listen and it just becomes really clear that this idea of giving you our life and living is difficult. So thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that we can be in relationship with one who is stronger and mightier than ourselves. Thank you, God, that the victory is already won. Thank you, God, that we don't have to live as children and we don't have to live as parents on our own, but that we live alongside you. So God, speak to us. Give us clear ways of how you would want us to live differently as a result of hearing your scripture, as of worshiping together. And God, we pray that this way of living that's promised to be something not just promised in the scripture, but be something each one of us can live and experience in this life. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who this message, they didn't even get past minute two because of the, the abuse or the pain of their own family. God, that you would meet them and you would bring resources to them so they could be free and they could live this way of living that you promise. Amen.